Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode four of the Wealth Code Podcast. Today, we've got Ingrid De La O. Ingrid is one of those women who I am constantly learning from. She's a mom, a first-generation immigrant, the co-founder of Tussol, and someone who is constantly tinkering with her own health and looking into the how of how ingredients affect her body. Every time I speak with her, I learn, or rather unlearn, something new about health. While not formally trained as a doctor, I wanted to have her on because her knowledge is vast and because she was able to heal herself of her postpartum depression and Crohn's disease by researching her own body and understanding the nutrients that would help heal her. In this discussion, we discuss trauma, relationships, oxidative stress, superfoods, and how to be a healthy parent and teach your kids to also be healthy. I think you'll enjoy this. Enjoy the exploration. other aspect of people that just give and give and give they don't even take their time to look inside of themselves they're sort of blocking what they find inside and just using that to help other people if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna look inside of me I'm just gonna spend my time helping other people and so I read this book and it was written by Seneca around 50 AD Mm -hmm. and it's called on the shortness of life and the book is, uh, I mean, it's a short essay. It's like 60, 60 pages. And I like him because he's such a grumpy writer. But he talks about how we squander our time in stuff that doesn't fulfill us mm-hmm. or doesn't make us happy. Like, it just, we just want to make other people happy. But it's like, first of all, you need to look inside and make yourself happy. Because if you start radiating um, happiness, then you could start helping other people. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like, you know, and he goes on tangents about like, you know, like people are very, if I ask you, Dasha, for $20,000, you'd be like, uh, no, for what? Right. Mm. But if I ask you for your time, you're going to be like, sure. You know, and you might not even have the time, but you might give me your time. Mm. But what? Time is more valuable than money. Mm. You're not going to get that time back. Yeah. And so yeah. he talked about that. And so he's like the other side of that where like there's people like Neil I can't say no to like, you know, even though he resents going to, into this meeting and doesn't want to go and he's driving to this dinner that he doesn't want to go to, but it's like, he just can't say no yeah. because he doesn't want to be unloved. He doesn't want to be disliked. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes, just in case so that other people don't think badly of me or say that I'm not, you know, that I'm flaky or that I don't give enough or whatever. And it's like, well, actually people are going to love you for who you are. Exactly. Not because of what you give them, exactly. hopefully. And if people aren't that way, then maybe I just don't need them in my life. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. if people are always yeah. expecting something of them, or they think it's that. a transactional relationship, then you know, my view is, yeah, I don't like transactional relationships. Which is, you know, I give you information, therefore you like me because I give you information and I'm worthwhile to you. Yeah, it could be another way of a two-way relationship right because sometimes like I really care about a person and I help them and I you know help them in their issues but it's like it's sort of like 
I like you as a person. Like, I can I get five minutes of emotional support on this side? I need you. Mm. And so it's 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 sort of like sometimes I have to let go of a lot of friends because it felt like I was just giving too much. And then I wasn't, you know, when I needed help or when I needed an emotional support or talk about something, they weren't really there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Just having the kind of the vampires is what I call them. <laughs> you know, people who maybe they don't even mean to as well. Maybe they don't, you know, they're not intending to be that energy drain or be that suck from you, but it's always negative or it's always about them or it's always a problem. I'm finding right now that I'm really drawn to those people who are always thinking that there's a better day ahead. You know, two days ago, I had a migraine, which was horrendous. I was like, all right, that was yesterday or that was two days ago. That doesn't mean that today is going to be equally horrible. And, you know, and I need to dwell on that. And also that I need to tell everybody about it. It's like, all right, well, move on. You know, don't be in that, in that victim mentality of, I need everybody to give me attention. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. We talked about that last time we, we spoke. Yeah. Victim and the the Cartman Triangle. Did you look into that one? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I think it's interesting. I think one thing that you were telling me before also was victim mentality, even coming from childhood Mm. and saying, all right, so as a kid, what were the things? And that was, I think, one thing we were going to talk about was, you know, what are the things coming from our childhood that is now traumatizing us today? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you, your, your little boy is what, five years old? He's five, yeah. I'm sure doing things that are going to later on manifest as an adult. <laughs> I looked into that. Uh, Neil wrote, my ex-husband Neil Strauss, wrote a book about his journey through uncovering childhood traumas. I'm talking about this because, because, because we were both part of this book. And there's our story of, of him trying to commit to me and of him trying to figure out, wait, why can I commit to people in general? not just to my, my fiance, but why can I commit to uh, a friendship or why can I commit to uh, intimate relationships with other people? And so he, me and him go back into our childhoods and talk to a lot of experts about childhood traumas. One of the things that I learned from that book is that adulthood is a, it's an accumulation of childhood unmet needs. So when you don't have needs when there's needs that haven't been met by your parents or by your caretakers as a child, then as an adult, you start to find the answers or start to find ways to fix that. For example, if you have a father that was not around, right? And he could be physically there, but let's just say that he wasn't mentally there. He was always working or stressed out. Usually as an adult, you're going to seek a partner that resembles that. And then you're going to try to fix them right jeez exactly and so and also like for men it usually works with opposite sex for men usually look for if their mother was let's say uh needy when it comes to emotions or she wasn't able to hold her her emotions and was always stressed out or was always needing uh, emotional support then they're going to seek a partner that is like that and then they're going to try to fix them. So basically everything that happens in your childhood, it's a continuation of, you know, unmet needs as an adult. So it's kind of like that, that codependent relationship that you have with your, you know, if a family member, I don't know how to say it, 
Uh, basically, I, I haven't looked too much into codependency or narcissism. Um, I've really started looking into it just now. I don't know that much about it. But the idea that if somebody in your family, let's say, right, is very boisterous and, very, and wanting, you know, wanting attention or, you know, and, and what you end up doing is you realize, okay, it's going to be more painful for me to have to deal with them and their emotional outburst, right? So I'm just going to cut it, nip it at the bud and just do something so that they don't end up having that emotional outburst, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like you, you are enabling them to continue doing all the nasty not nonsense that, that they want just because you're just saying, okay, well, I don't want to face the, the annoyance of them having their emotional outburst. I'm not saying it well, but like basically you, you are enabling them to have bad behavior because you just don't want to deal with the bad behavior, like deal with the outcome in the future. You know, yeah. and so in reality, that codependency of saying, I am going to kind of help them, but in reality, you're not helping them because they're just going to continue having this really, you know, this behavior that's really out there and other people are going to have to continue dealing with them as a horrible person. Here's why it's not their fault. Because why? Because you pick them as a partner. Mm -hmm. The red flags were there all along. You just chose to ignore them. Uh, there's this guy... Uh, who runs seminars on uh, codependency. His name is uh, Herval Hendricks, genius. He, there was a handout that he gave out. And I will never forget, I've, done, uh, I've gone to a bunch of seminars when Neil was writing his book on the truth. And this specific handout, I will never forget. It's like engraved in my head. But the first question asks, and this is going to blow your mind. The first question is, Tell me five things that you love about your mother and you happily write them down. Oh, but, but you have to remember those things as you were before the age of eight, because that's when your emotion and that's when you learn what love is. And that's when you learn um, most of your foundation. Okay. So, so think about your mother as she was when you were eight years old. And our parents are different. If you meet my mother, she's, she's completely different than when I was eight years old. So then, okay, you write your five things. Oh, my mom, she was very responsible. She was very loving, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll say, write five things that you disliked about your mother. Oh, needy. I didn't like that she was secretive. I didn't like that she was you know, I mean, you could sit down and think about it, but it, it takes a long time to like get in those shoes as an eight-year-old. Mm. And then it will ask you the same thing about your father, five things and five things. And it will ask you to circle three things, the, the three things or the three characteristics that you remember the most. Mm -hmm. At the end, and it will ask you, I mean, I'll, I could send you the form so, so people want to fill it out. Yeah, nice. Really interesting. And then it will ask you, okay, so tell me five conflicts that you remember as a child. And then tell me how you fix them as a child, right? So five conflicts. Oh, my mom got angry at me because I drew on the wall. So what did you do? I hid in the closet. Yeah. And then another one. My dad you know, got angry because I came home late. What did you do? He verbally abused me. And then I, I shut down. At the end of this page that you fill out, it will tell you, okay, so this is what you're seeking in a partner. You're looking for the three things that you loved about your mother and you're looking for the, also for the three things that you hate about your mother. Mm. You're also looking for the three things that you love about your father, but also the things that you hate about your father. They're there. Yeah. Because you're going to try to fix those. You're going to get those things. You're, gonna try looking, you're looking for those things that you love about them. But those things that you didn't like about them, you're going to look for them because you are going to try to fix them. 
because you couldn't fix them with your parents. Yeah. And then the way you manifested problems as a child and you did problem solving, it's the way you're going to do things as an adult when a problem comes. Because when you have a problem as an adult, we tend to uh, regress back to our childhood or regress back to, I mean, think about it. Last time you had an altercation with a boyfriend, how immature that conversation went, right? You're, you become a child or a teenager. And so you start to do, and that's what I was I started to see. It's like, holy crap. Yes, when me and my ex-husband used to get mad at each other, I used to hide. I used to just go to another bedroom. Mm. I used to shut down. And he would get so angry at me that he would barely like, what are you doing? Come out and talk to me. And like barely abuse me. So I would, you know, shut down even more. So I was recreating my childhood, mm. right? So it, and it goes like that, not only with partners, but with, with friendships, right? With everything that happens in your life, with your business. How do you react to a problem with your business partner? Are you going to shut down? Yeah. It's interesting because the thing that popped up uh, thinking about that is ultimately what's the biggest problem. And the problem is we're not communicating. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to communicate, in my opinion, as, exactly. I mean, as women, as men, whatever, right? It, it, it doesn't matter. And because the words that come out of my mouth are not the words that you necessarily hear. And then how many other elements of communication are there? There's physical, there's, there's all the background as well, right? The, the background of you've had previous arguments or you have other baggage coming to it, but it's like, we, we don't know how to communicate. We don't know. We know how to push each other's buttons. Uh, yeah absolutely but we have no idea how to say well actually this is how you made me feel or this is what's what's wrong I mean only for me at least now I'm just starting to learn that to learn how to communicate and be because I think part of communication is being vulnerable and being able to say this is you know this is the way that you made me feel or this is why this is bothering me or hey this I had this reaction I know that that reaction is complete nonsense and I didn't need to have that reaction, but heads up, you saying that I'm selfish elicits all of these other emotions that I attach to the word selfish, Yeah, you know? And I think I've been finding that to be really fascinating, especially, especially even now, I mean, with, with all the stress that's going on to me, that's really been interesting to see how we communicate or how we suck at communicating, you know, and because every time like if I speak to my to different friends, you don't know what's been going on with them for the past week. You don't know whether today they're having an amazing day or today they're in the complete shitter and they're just, they're feeling horrible about everything that's going on. And so even energetically thinking about how we communicate and what we bring to a conversation and whether I'm in a playful mood and my, my girlfriend is in a really horrible mood. It's like, you're going to be having two different conversations. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned buttons because I remember Herval Hendricks talking about buttons and also um, talking about how we like subconsciously like to get those buttons pushed. Hmm. And I'm going to say, why? Because we pick the partner, right? We pick that partner that's going to push those specific buttons. And I'm just going to give you an example of a button that was always there for me. Not until I realized what I was doing. I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense that comes from my childhood. But for instance, Neil, my ex-husband, would sit on the table at dinner time on the phone, tweeting or like having, you know, like, oh, I got I just gotta message this person. Oh, and he would get lost in like Facebook or whatever. And I'd be like, can you 
um, I didn't want to sound like a nagging mom. I was like, can you please put your phone away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on, I just need to finish this tweet. And can you please, it got to the point that it's like, whenever I saw the phone on at dinner time, on the dinner table, I, I would get, my buttons would get automatically pushed, right? And not until I started to like, well, what happens? Like, why is that button pushed? Like, why is it bothering me so much that it's really making me angry and it's really like boiling my blood? I could feel like my face turning red. And not until I started to realize, okay, let's see what happened in my childhood. I remember my mom, my dad would sit at the dinner table and my mom would finish cooking all these beautiful meals because my mom always cooked from scratch. And she was like the Martha Stewart of the house. And then my dad would always, always sit down with a book. And my mom would be like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm just finishing my chapter. Put it away. So it's like the same thing, right? And I would see, my, from my perspective, and Neil being on the table with, with a phone, I saw that as abandonment. Because in my childhood, my dad would be like, ah, so pissed off, and we'd leave the table. And then, then my mom would be left eating her food, but not present for me. She'd be pissed off, not talking to me. She would shut down. And then I would be left alone as a child, and I would feel abandoned. Mm-hmm. It's like my dad is gone, and my mom is not emotionally present. And so when I would see a phone on the table, that's exactly what my button was. I was feeling abandoned. I was like, there's a beautiful meal here and I'm feeling like no one's present for me. And so it's like that button that would take me back to childhood. It's like, oh, the same button. How do I fix that button? Did you and Neil talk about this? Did you, were you able to have that conversation or was that something that's like sitting inside you that, that you weren't able to, to express? No, I expressed it and I understood why he was doing it. And it's so funny because we picked the right puzzle pieces. It's just like Mm. people that we pick to be in our lives are just perfect perfect for us in every sense of the way because his button was his mom nagging at him for everything so he would rebel yeah and so like he would bring the phone and then his button was for me he was waiting for me to tell him to put the phone away so he could rebel he was waiting for the nag subconsciously waiting he wanted he wanted the nag wanted me to nag but he as a child is like having a mom that was always nagging him around or bossing him around or giving him rules so it's sort of like you know he was doing the things that would automatically make me be the mother be the mom and then he was doing things that would remind me of both my parents dysfunction i wonder how many couples can have this conversation right how many couples can say hey listen do that deep work on Mm -hmm. their own so then they can even have the conversation to say this is what you're doing. This is what's annoying me. And oh, well, by the way, my mom used to do that, you know, and it's because it seems like a really strange and slightly awkward Oedipus Rex complex of some sort of, you know, you're trying to find your mom in your partner, you know, to some extent you're trying to find your dad was like, and that's weird for a lot of men and a lot of women, I think to say, yes, I'm actually looking for that in a, I mean, partner that you're being going to be sexually active with. No one looks back at their childhood because it's painful. Like it's painful for most people. And uh, sometimes, you know, we do feel like, oh, well, no, I had the perfect childhood. My parents were both, you know, like sweethearts. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to have monster parents to like have a, uh, unmet needs, you know. Unmet needs could be many things. It could be like um, a dad that's stressed out at work, like he's there for you, but he's so like lost in his work that he's not present. That's a form of abandonment. You know, also with, with a mom that can't handle her feelings or it's like, you know, like, it's, or it tells you, 
secret things about their, the marriage. They're like, oh, your dad is just, you know, he did that to me the other day and he left and I can't believe he's doing that. So it's like for a little kid, they can't handle that. It's like adult words and adult issues that a child shouldn't be hearing or listening or it's too much pressure for them. You know, and then, and then it, it, it takes a lot to look inside, look inside of you and love what you find. Because you could look inside and are you okay with that? Are you okay with what you find? Right? And I would say that a lot of people right now don't want to look inside because it's petrifying. So I did, I did a 10-day Vipassana retreat. It must be like 10 years ago almost. No, like, eight, like seven years ago. And it was petrifying. I mean, 10 days sitting just with your thoughts for nothing else, every single day meditating. And, and we had 100 people who started it. By the end of it, I think there was like 60, 64 people left. So a lot of people could not deal with their own thoughts because, yeah, there's a lot of demons in there and there's a lot of trauma that we push down, you know? And, it, and it, I mean, we said when, I think the word trauma is starting to get less, uh, less stigmatized, but I think there is still a stigma of like trauma equals, you know, physical abuse or, you know, like it seems like this big thing, like a big trauma. Well, yeah, no, it doesn't have to be that, right? It could be, you know, my brother slamming his door when we were kids, that could be a traumatic thing for me. And so for now, you know, I can't, I can't deal with loud noises because that's still sitting in there somewhere, completely repressed, completely in the background. But those, those demons, those, those traumas, those, those things that we have hidden to protect ourselves. Those are the things that I think are, you know, we, we forget about. And, and probably that's also why people don't want to sit and do the deep work and ask themselves the questions of, you know, what do I value? Who am I as a person? What, what do I want out of this life? How do I want to be remembered? Well, it's, it's hard because you have a pattern that your parents taught you, right? So you don't learn love until you meet your parents. You learn love by the way they interact with each other and by the way they interact with you. Mm. And so uh, as an adult, there's no other definition of love other than what you were taught. And so, cause love to you, for you means completely different what love is to me. Mm. By the way, that word to me, I think it's amazing. Sorry to cut you off. I think it's really interesting because we all know what love as an abstract is yeah. right on the highest level hierarchy of, of, of words, right? So when we say, oh yeah, you know, I'm in love with him. Okay. You know what that is in your yeah. own way. But when I say my version of love and your version of love are completely different. Completely different. Now as an adult, try to change that, right? Because try to change what you learn about love. It's going to be completely hard. It's going to be hard. There's no way until you start to dissect the patterns and start to realize, okay, here's, here's a classic, right? Here's a classic. So I see this a lot and I don't necessarily think it's, it's bad or, or, or horrible, but I mean, I, and I was doing that myself too with my son. My son is, uh, let's say, I don't know, just an example, running around, um, at the park and like, you know, uh, going on the monkey bars, classic from a parent. Hey, get down. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. You're going to fall. Mm. Hey, get off there. You're going to fall. Hey, don't jump on the couch. You're going to fall. So we're teaching them fear, right? We're automatically teaching them that whatever they they're going to do, they're going to get hurt and they're going to fall. 
And so it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it's a bad parent, right? Like you're trying to protect your child and you're probably seeing, you know, like what could happen, the detriments of him going on the monkey bars or of them, you know, I don't know, going on a ledge. <laughs> but it's just the the patterns that we give subconsciously start teaching our kids. And that's with love too, right? You know, it's so funny because for a long, long time in my family, I grew up in Mexico City and it, it was always like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so beautiful. It is, it's, it's the way my parents taught me that love or my value was, it's just by being beautiful because they never said, oh, you're so smart. They never told me, oh, you're, you're brilliant or you're good at this. It's, it was always like, you're so beautiful. Or if my hair wasn't done, my mom would send me to my bedroom, go back and do your hair. It looks messy. So it's like, oh, wow. Like my, for a long time, I learned that my value was through looking good. That's how people are going to love me. And that's how I'm going to find love if I'm, I'm attractive and if I'm pretty and if I'm this. So for a long time, that to me was love, right? Um, I mean, I remember like when I first met my ex-husband, I, I would not let him see me without makeup. Oh my God. Like, it's like I would wake up first, like five in the morning. If I had to wake up at five in the morning, I run to the bathroom. I like, I'll put on makeup, you know, like that. That's how I believe that he would, you know, love how he would love me. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to dig deep and get out of that, that mentality. It was, I mean, it was a whole journey where like, I I remember (laughs) I had this experiment where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to get rid of all the mirrors in my house. I'm not going to have any mirrors. I'm going to get rid of all my makeup and, and I'm going to see what happens. It was like the most beautiful experience I've ever done because now I don't care. Like, no, like my mom would send me to my bedroom right now and be like, do you hair? Um, wearing sweats and like I'm constantly wearing athletic clothes but it's it's sort of like I don't need to be that person that you know like it's not that doesn't define what love is so much unlearning so now just tie it back into health that's exactly what it is it's growing up you see your parents how they do health what health means to them and my childhood was not the healthiest childhood I mean just to give you an example my mom loved cooking with canola oil and she would buy it in bulk, like big, big gallons. Mm-hmm. And then we, being Mexican, we fried everything. She would make taquitos or like fried tacos, fried everything. She would dump the canola oil, use that. The canola oil will turn black. And then once she was done with that, she would dump it back into the plastic bottle. And then I remember seeing like the gallons of like black canola oil, like the melting, like container that was like so like we would my mom would cook with that and like little things that she would do that drove me nuts like I know a lot of my journey health journey has been through unlearning everything unlearning everything that I learned like that stupid pyramid you know table that they teach you in school right Mm -hmm. you need to eat 15 servings of bread a day yeah that's like really in like a little bit of food. Yeah. I mean, to me, the unlearning, it's unlearning and it's starting to question. It's starting to question the things that you hold mm-hmm. to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, so talk about love and talk about love languages. I mean, I, as a kid was not, you know, I always knew that I was loved. My family is fantastic. They're my rock. They're my foundation, my, you know, but I wouldn't say that I had the typical, you know, you know how a lot of Americans it's, you know, okay, I love you bye, or, you know, that it's like a, it's always hugging or things like that. That just wasn't the love language that was really in my family. 
nothing good, nothing bad, you know, no, just that's how it was. It was through action. It was through time spent together. It was through, okay, there was the verbal communication just in that it was obvious, you know, obvious that we were loved. And now as an adult, reevaluating that and saying, okay, is that my love language? Is that actually what I want? Am I more of a tactile person? Do I want more of the physical? Is, is my love language more in the physicality or in gifts or, you know, whichever one they are? It's, but, it, but to me, it's the unlearning is just the evaluating and saying, what I hold true, is that because I've been taught that? Or is that because I have chosen that? And I think those are two different elements. And same thing with food, with products, with how we go about our day. You know, it's so obvious that you have to have three meals a day. You know, when was that? Is that because that was marketing done for the pyramid, the food pyramid, and said, you must have three meals a day because authority has told you that, the authorities of doctors, the authorities of whoever. And actually, there's plenty of people who say, I just don't want to have breakfast in the morning. So your health journey, I know that you had, I mean, you've gone from, if you don't mind my saying, but Crohn's, you've got, I mean, you've had Crohn's, you've had postpartum depression, you've had an appendicitis. I mean, you've had a journey, I would say. You've got it for you and the healthcare system. What are your thoughts just in general on the system, on doctors, on, you know, on what has worked for you, has not worked for you? Because of your history with different autoimmune disorders, right, and different different things that have come up, where do you see the system and the interplay with older systems, be it Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, you know, the more holistic side of things compared to the modern system as it is now? Let me just recap for those that don't know what happened to me. Six years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I also had a heterotopic pregnancy, and it's basically two simultaneous pregnancies with separate implantation sites. I had um, my baby that was, he was in the uterus, and then another one that was in a fallopian tube. So they had to remove the fallopian tube. And then I had a appendicitis, and then after I had my son, I had a serious postpartum depression. So I was Humpty Dumpty. Listen, I'm gonna tell you this right now. I'm gonna put it out there. If I'm ever in a car crash, I don't want a hippie guru to come with essential oils and come with sage and like, no, I want a real doctor to do surgery and like really like, you know, fix whatever broke. You know, in, in our society, we tend to see our doctors as our therapists now, right? Like, well, I'm having this issue. I'm stressed out and blah, blah, blah. Okay, antidepressants. What, what you got? And so it's like, it's easier. We see our doctors as a therapist and then we see our doctors as, as someone that could figure out exactly what's happening with us. And so that's one of the things that I started to realize. I mean, I went to several doctors. I went to, um, I mean, I had several surgeries. I wanted someone, I wanted a doctor to figure out what was wrong with my life. I wanted them to fix it. I wanted them to tell me what I had to do in order to continue with my life. I realized way after pharmaceuticals, way after you know, countless medications, that that was not going to be the case. It was not going to be a person or single individual that's going to be like, okay, Ingrid, let's see what's going on with your life. This is what you've done wrong, and this is how you could be fixed. The reality is that we've lost connections with ourselves. We have. 
right? You go to the grocery store and we just like pack, pack our, our grocery carts with stuff that we don't even know, you know, we don't even know how to pronounce half these ingredients. We don't know where they come from. We just lost complete connection. There was a video that shocked me a long time ago. It was, I think it was a TED talk where like this chef, I can't remember the name of this person, I feel bad. But this video was uh, this chef going into a public school and bringing a load of vegetables and, and, and fruits in, into a classroom. And he would pick up, you know, the fruit and, and ask the kids. I remember, is- see- I remember seeing this as well. Yeah, yeah. And the kids would be like, I have no idea. Like, little kids would call potato, you know, cauliflower. <laughs> and to me, it's like, wow, this is when, this is where health starts, right? As a parent. And this is where <laughs> the disconnection of, you know, half of these people don't even know how food grows, right? Like half of these people don't know what it takes for the soil to be healthy in order to grow vegetables or nutrient-dense food. Half of these people don't know that their stuff has been sprayed with all these kinds of toxic chemicals and it's probably causing a lot of their, their health issues that they're having today. I'm not gonna sit here and blame the system because it's ultimately, it was ultimately my responsibility to know my own body to know what my body needs. And there's always clues. Your body's constantly telling you, um, giving you clues, and we ignore them. If you have low energy and you have bad sleep, the majority of people that you know, work out, I see my friends, you know, they still go to the gym. It's like, no, your body's telling you you didn't have crappy sleep. And then now the first thing you do in the morning is go to the gym and create more stress into your body. I didn't wake up and get Crohn's one day to another. It was a series of events. And now that I look back, my body, you know, I was, uh, started to, uh, started to gain weight. I started to have uh, low energy. Those were the first symptoms. And I started to get a uh, really, really flaky skin around my nose and around my, in between my eyes, be so dry. And so these are little tiny symptoms. I was like, Hey, by the way, I need vitamin C. Hey, by the way, I need vitamin D. What are you doing? I don't want to blame the system for not teaching me those things, right? There's a lot of things that I'm responsible for, right? And my responsibility is to, now that I'm a mom, is to teach that to my son as a parent, right? I get a lot of emails from customers and this really breaks my heart. I had one specific email this woman had severe gut issues. I you know, have gut issues and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm bloated every day uh, and help. I'm surrounded by kids' food. My, eat, my kids eat goldfish, they eat pizza, they eat pretzels and all this stuff. I don't know how to uh, stay away from that food. I eat the same food. And it's like, the parallel is there. You just don't see it. But whatever you're giving your kids, it's making you sick. And you're teaching them to become you as an adult. They're going to become you. They're going to be adults and they're going to email someone else saying, help, I have gut issues and my kids are floating in goldfish. Yeah. And it's tough though, right? I mean, it's a lot easier doing the thing that we've always done. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more difficult to start changing things up because you're going to have to start to learn how to cook differently. You'll have to start 
having different habits, you'll have to start saying no to your kids and saying, you know what? No, we're not going to have the goldfish that you've had for the past eight years of your life. You know? So I think it's, to me, one of the challenges is changing habits. And I get a lot of folks asking, well, how do you start? And to me, it's educating why something is bad. For me, at least in my brain, if I understand why eating goldfish is potentially leading to my exhaustion or leading to the crash in my energy later in the day, then I can start telling myself I'm not going to buy that and making that choice. If I don't know what it's doing, then I think I can't make that connection. And then it's a lot more difficult also when I'm in an environment where everybody else is doing it. If everybody else around me is eating toxic foods and because it tastes good, we love tasty things like fried onion rings. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) But if you know that that's going to cause gut issues or reduction energy later on down the line, then then yeah, I'm going to do something about it. But I think, so to me, it's, I don't know, how, how do you find that? I mean, you, you have a kid that, you know, is, is surrounded by really healthy food at home, but when he goes to school, well, what happens? It wasn't the case. It wasn't this pretty. <laughs> I relate because I was that person that was at the edge of not having any answers. I found the best gastrointestinal uh, doctor in LA and uh, it took me about eight months to get an appointment. I was like, yes, I'm so jazzed. I was like, this, she's going to help me. This is it. Like, she's going to figure it out. And so I walked in there. It was a five-minute consultation, I remember. Before I went to her office, I had written down, like, okay, she's probably going to ask me about what I eat. She's probably going to ask me about what I do for the day. And, and so I just have it ready and I could just sit. So I remember sitting there. And it was a five minute consultation. She looks at my blood work. Yeah, you have Crohn's. So that's something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. And I remember looking at her and saying, and I had my list in my hand. And I said, are you sure it's not, has nothing to do with what I'm eating? And she said, no, it's in your genes. And that's something, food has nothing to do with it. And so here's a prescription. Uh, Sends me to the front desk to get my prescription. And it was a thousand dollar prescription for steroids that I couldn't afford at the time. It was out of my network. She was out of my network. I was paying it out of my pocket. And then, you know, slaps me with a thousand dollar a month that I had to do for the rest of my life. Steroids. You know, I remember taking them. Some of the symptoms were gone from my Crohn's. TMI, but one of the symptoms for Crohn's, and this is why it was so embarrassing for me to talk about it with other people, because I didn't want other people to know I was going through this. To me, it was something that people were going to be grossed out by. And one of the symptoms is bloody stools. I mean, it took me a long time to even tell my husband at the time. I was like, oh, I'm having this issue. That symptom went away, but I had an avalanche of other side effects. And I believe that it took me even over the edge of, I mean, it took my depression, my postpartum depression, even to, to get to the next level. And I remember thinking like, well, no one you know, can't fix this. I don't think I want to live like this. I don't think I want to, you know, it it was like a constant bloatingness every single day, every single day. I don't remember a day like I was not bloated or anything that I ate. It was like intense pains, foggy brain, tired. I was just tired, depressed and cognitive decline. It's a big one. People say foggy brain, but that's a real symptom. 
foggy brain is a real symptom because that goes hand in hand with accumulation of nasty, toxic thoughts in your head. And so I was having constant thoughts of suicide. I was like, well, it's much better if I don't live in such pain because if I'm, I'm not around, this, is, this was my mentality back then. If I'm not around, that means that I'm not going to be in any more pain and that means I'm not causing pain to my family. So I remember one day I was like, okay, well, if I don't do anything for my health, if I don't figure out and dive deep into me, then I'm probably going to end up writing a suicide note for my family. That was it. That was either one or the other. And so I said, okay, I got to try at least. I got to try everything I can with all my heart to become or be healthy. And if I can't succeed, then I'm going to end up killing myself. And so I gave it all I could. It was really intimidating to go online and search. Just go on Google and search diet. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of confusing information. It's just going to be so confusing and intimidating. You know, I would see, you know, one of the, my, my first thoughts is like, well, okay, fine. It's confusing and intimidating. Maybe there is a guru or maybe there's some athlete that is like superhuman. Maybe if I could just figure out what these people are eating and what they're doing, maybe I could copy it. And if I could copy it, then, you know, um, maybe I, I could become superhuman like they are. And I remember searching, I searched online, I searched for athletes, I searched for on Instagram, I searched for like that ideal person that I could just follow. And one day I realized, huh? And I thought, wow, there's no ultimate human, but what, who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? Not what do I want to become? Who? So then I started to write down the things that I wanted to, who I wanted to become. I went back into my childhood and I remember like, what was the happiest times of my life? And it was around when I was 12 years old. And I wrote down like, who is that 12 year old girl? And I wrote down, oh, she was playful. She loved, she was curious. She was always in the backyard, like looking at insects. Oh, she loved climbing trees. Like she was very opinionated. Oh, she was like, she loved learning. She loved school. She liked this. She liked, she was interested. So I was like, holy crap, that is the ideal human. That is my ideal human. I want to become that little girl again. And so I, you know, printed out a photo of me at that age and I put it on my fridge and I was like, that's my ideal human. I searched, I started to look into, okay, what is Crohn's? Okay, well, for those of you that don't know, Crohn's is um, basically an inflammatory bowel disease. It causes inflammation and scarring the, in, the, in the lining of both the small intestine and the, the large intestine. Okay, so I know, now I know this information. What is inflammation, right? And what causes inflammation? And so I went from there, oh, and somehow I came across, you know, herbs and things that, that are, are known to lower inflammation. Wait, turmeric and ginger, if you put them together? I mean, what? And so I started going into the rabbit hole of reading. I mean, I read everything. I put on Chinese medicine, Ayurveda medicine, and being Mexican, I was like, I'm interested in, okay, what this civilization was doing. So I started reading about Aztec medicine. These three cultures treat the body as a whole, right? Not as just like, oh, this is what you do just for the liver, right? It's just a whole because it's all connected. I mean, if you ask me about the flaws that's currently in our healthcare system, 
that is one of the flaws that they treated as, I mean, they separate it, right? They don't look at anything else. If you have a liver issue, they're only going to look at the liver. They're not going to look at your, your gut and they're not going to look at your brain. They're not going to look at any, any other organ. It's just that. And they're going to give you uh, pharmaceuticals based on that. And it's based on what they learn in school. So anything that's outside of what they learn in their textbooks or in classrooms doesn't compute. But there is amazing, amazing doctors that I've met by my journey. Doctors that connect the dots, that are really good at connecting the dots, right? And look at the body as a whole and look at, you know, not only the body, but also, I mean, mental health. And they look at everything, basically everything. And, uh, oh, they, they look at what, you know, what you're eating and the environment that you're eating. So that's all related. You know, like when I tell people, no, it's not only about diet. It's, uh, it's also about the environment that you're in. And it's also about the relationships that you're having with people. Because, you know, having bad relationships with people, there's studies that, that show that could, you know, mess up your endocrine system. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I think there's so many women out there who don't want to talk about their symptoms because of the fear that your symptoms are who you are. You know, the symptoms of a bloody stool is not you. It's just what's happening in your body right now. And I think that people are so fearful to talk about that because there's a stigma of, did you do something wrong or what have you done? And in reality, it's no, this is just my environment or the foods that I've been eating or yes, fine. Your, your genes. Yes. There's, there's obviously something in there as well, but you are not your symptoms. And I think, I, I mean, oftentimes I'm hearing these stories of going to a doctor and unfortunately only getting 10 minutes or 20 minutes with them. And then quickly a prescription is written and go out the door. So to me, it's, we need to, as patients start to become our own doctors, which is petrifying <laughs> because now all of a sudden you have to learn all of these things and start digging and start being your own explorer and saying, okay, well, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, this works for 90% of the population, but it doesn't work for me. Maybe the foods that work for your husband or for your kid is fantastic, but it doesn't work for you. And so then as women, we have to start being selfish. What is perceived to be selfish to say, I'm not going to be drinking dairy, you know, and I want to drink almond milk. Maybe that's more expensive. Maybe that's another product that you have to buy in the supermarket. You know, and it seems that it's selfish when in reality, if we can get our own health individually fixed, then we can be better for our families, be better for, for the community that's around us. You know, one of the things that a therapist told me once, and it always stuck with me, it's like once you start feeling selfish, that means you're doing the work. Because I always felt like, oh no, I'm going to hurt other people if I do this, if I say that, or if I it's like, no, 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 no. It's really important that you take care of yourself first. You can't, there's no way you're going to be able to take care of other people if you're, you're having issues, right? There's no way. There's no way. You got to spend time in your, I always call it like this. It's like your garden, right? When you have a garden, and I'm looking at my garden and it's a little work. But if you have a garden, you need to water the plants. You need to cut the weeds. You need to, if you want to make it pretty, you got to grow these flowers and put the, the specific fertilizer to make it a beautiful garden, right? But we spend our time in other people's gardens. <laughs> it's like, no, go back to your garden and pull the weeds. There's so many weeds that are growing. It's like, stop spending time on other people's gardens. Yeah, yeah, I really like that analogy. <laughs> I'm gonna use that. I like that a lot. 
and that's where you're growing, you're sowing the seeds for happiness because that's where it comes from. It comes from you. Mm. It comes from within. It's happiness is, well, it's the energy that fuels you. Uh, if you could tap into that beautiful person that you are and look in your heart, this is what I tell people. Look, if you're having a bad day, you're having a horrible day, and just picture yourself, you know, step out of your body and picture yourself as an eight-year-old. And your eight-year-old is having a bad day and she's crying and she's just, you know, saying like, oh, you know, I feel like one down. I feel like I'm not good enough. What are you going to tell this little girl? Are you going to tell her, fuck off, you're stupid, you're dumb? No, you're going to sit with her and you'll be like, no, like understand, like this is what's happening, like you're going to be okay and you're probably going to like give her a hug. But we're constantly telling that little girl that you're, you're so stupid, you're dumb, you can't do it. Sometimes if you're having a hard day, what would you tell that eight-year-old or the 12-year-old? Sit down with a 12-year-old and talk to her or him and say like this, you know, like this, this shall pass or, you know, say something that it's not berating or like it's not putting, putting them down. Yeah. Having that compassion, compassion yeah. to ourselves. That's the other thing. How come in the health world, we're not giving ourselves that compassion and giving ourselves that patience? as well. I mean, to me, health and the health journey is also one about compassion and patience. Mm -hmm. For me, right, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to eat fish, for example, right? I was vegetarian for nine years. But saying, okay, well, actually, there's compassion in needing that fish oil, right? Or even having patience with yourself and saying, all right, I'm now going to be doing yoga every single day for the next 30 days or whatever it is. And you fall off the bandwagon and you don't do it for three days because you're having really bad menstrual cramps or you're having re something really horrible, whatever happens in your life. You know, having that, that patience and that compassion to say, yeah, you, you messed up in quote, in air quotes, right? You messed up today. Yeah, you get right back on, you know, not beating yourself up and saying, but actually, like, like you said, treating ourselves as if we're that eight-year-old and saying, yeah, okay, today sucked. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be better. Yeah. Ever since I put that image of me as a little girl on, on the fridge, it's, it's always like I talk to her. I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's good. you're going to be fine. Like, you're smart. And I say like, you're this, you're that, you're that. You're, you're, you're cool. Like, people like you. So that was, uh, you know, learning self-compassion was extremely important, especially in the health world. That, that part is missing you know, because everybody wants to connect the new thing. Everybody wants to connect the gut and the brain, right? Mm -hmm. The gut and the brain. But it's like, no, 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 no. You're skipping the heart, right? The heart is in the middle of both. Yeah. What are you doing? It's like the gut, the heart, the brain. We could connect and make a straight line from your gut to your heart to your brain. But it's a straight line and, and keep an eye on that. Yeah. The heart's the tough one. The heart's the one that, again, you have to do the uh, internal work. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be able to create your own boundaries and say no when you don't actually want to do something and not be fearful that people are going to judge you for it and not be fearful that, you know, people are not going to love you just because you said, no, I need some time to you myself. Know, you know what the beautiful part about that? I was like that. And one day I woke up and I said, I'm going to start saying no. Like, if I don't want to go to your birthday party, I don't want to sit at your birthday party. And trust me, you don't want me to sit there all resentful thinking about like the things that I should be doing, right? So I'm going to, you know, say like, oh, you know, I can't or, you know, I just, I just don't. I mean, I've been doing that. I've been doing that a lot. And people are going to respect you more 
So when I go to restaurants, I'm that person that it's always, you know, asking the waiters, like, what kind of oil do you cook with? And can you cook with butter instead of canola oil? Or you have olive oil. A lot of my friends, oh, you know, a lot of my friends say that, oh, if I have to go to a restaurant, I have to eat what other people are eating. Otherwise, they're going to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm better than them. I feel like I'm sort of like being rude. And I'm like, no, like people are, I love asking questions. They're curious. They're curious about what you're doing. So like, you know, I bring my own water to rest everywhere I go. I bring my jug of water and I put it on the table and people are always like, what is in that? You know, it's like, oh, cool. Let me talk to you about magnesium bicarbonate. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, you know, people are interested in learning. People want to know. I think to that, to me, the way, there's two ways about doing that. One is the, I am better than thou. I know more and therefore I'm going to push kind of push this information down or even be judgmental or, or just be kind of elitist about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other way of just, this is how I live. And so because I live this way, this clean way, this healthy way, then these are my rules Mm -hmm. and therefore I'm going to live this way. If you don't want to be on my, um, on this train with me, that's perfectly fine. I think to me, that's where I get a little annoyed, I think of, you know, when people are very dogmatic and specific about this is how, you know, must live a carnivore diet, must live a paleo diet. I do this. This is the right way. Well, yes, it is the right way for For you, you. (laughs) but it may not be the right way for me. And I think that live healthy, but without ego. And I think that's the thing that like stripping that away and saying, I want to live healthy because I feel better and I see my skin doing better. I see my gut feeling better. And do you, are you curious enough to learn about it? You know, and having that fun with it and saying, yeah, I'm bringing my water around. I know I look crazy, but this is why I do it. This is why it's worth it for me. Embrace <laughs> it. I look crazy. I'm walking around the airport, you know, with my, my red glasses during the day. And people are like, why are you wearing sunglasses in the airport? No, they're not sunglasses. Let me tell you about uh, blue blockers an advertiser but I, I mean I love teaching and I mean, I'm just a very curious person and so like I love learning and so I, I like you know sharing information we all have different habits and I like learning from you know different cultures and what do you do what, what does your grandma do for, for health like well, what does what, what, you know growing up like what was the thing that your grandma always always pulled out like if you had a cough I'm always interested in like knowing like what you know the, the older people are doing or did yeah I mean there's a lot of ego and in, in, I see that a lot in the industry but it's like you know it goes back to like hey like let's connect the heart that's where you know the heart needs to go in there too so when you started getting healthier right mm-hmm. and shifting these things what did you see as a shift in your in either what you're buying or how your you know how did your kids start oh that's okay. So now going back to when I had my son, my, my son was that the picture perfect of junk food <laughs> growing up. And um, I mean, and, and, and we go back full circle. I didn't know. I had no awareness whatsoever when it came to uh, what he was eating. And at the time, I didn't really know how to cook. I mean, I knew how to cook a little bit of Mexican food. But when I moved to this country, uh, I moved here when I was 12. And the first thing that my mother, because growing up in Mexico, we bought everything from scratch and we cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner from scratch. Like there's no, like it's expensive to like go to a restaurant every day or like to buy around that time. There wasn't really that much junk food, except the way my mom was cooking it and she was turning the food into junk food. 
Because of the canola oil. Yes, the way she was cooking it. I remember the first thing when I landed, I didn't know English. I didn't speak English. And I remember opening, we moved into my stepdad's house. I remember opening the fridge and seeing like these little tiny pizzas <laughs> that you could put in the microwave. Yeah. And then like you have pizzas in seconds. <laughs> and then like, remember those? Do you remember those now, right? And then it will burn like the roof of your mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were horrible. <laughs> but somehow tasty at the same time. I don't know how they managed it. Yeah, or like, but I had never seen that. And I had never seen, like, the, I remember the first time I walked into a Walmart. And I remember walking the aisles of, like, the, of the mutated food. It's like, I'd never seen a burrito inside of a taco inside of a pizza. <laughs> and my mom was like, this is amazing. I don't have to cook anymore. So my mom would load up the fridge with just American food because she didn't have to cook anymore. And she had all this, she had more time now. I took that from what I was taught that it was so, it's so convenient and easy. Like you don't have to worry about like a meal ever again. Like you don't even have to worry about turning on the stove. Like the stove is like ancient technology. Throw that out. Just, just stick with the microwave. Yeah. Microwave's your best friend. Yeah. So getting into health and learning the toxins and the things that I was putting in my body that was causing accumulation of, of inflammation and I was causing me to have this chronic disease. I remember starting with like, I went into my kitchen and I threw everything out. I was like, I'd never seen ingredients. Like I don't understand ingredients and nutrition panels, but there's ingredients in here that I can't even pronounce. And so if I can't pronounce them, they're made in a lab. And I, I was so scared. And so I threw everything out. Um, I threw my, all my son's uh, finger food and like little pizzas. And I threw all his like goldfish and I threw everything out. No and Lunchables? I, no. I mean, I had Lunchables. I remember. And then I threw those away and I threw, like he didn't drink water at the time. I was giving him like juices. And so I remember grabbing those and I was like, I don't care if he cries because he doesn't have his juice today. Like, I'm going to throw it out and I'm just going to, you know, like, that's it. We're drinking water. I'm sorry. You're a strict mom. I was petrified of all the things that I was uh, uh, giving. I mean, if I was sick with the gut issue, I could just imagine my, my little infant, my little son. Well, you went full cold turkey and just used, oh, you threw everything I, out and I went restarted. Turkey because I was petrified. And the reason why I, 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 when I started looking about inflammation and the things that cause inflammation, that's the rab that's where I entered the rabbit hole of like the things that cause inflammation. Then I started to read about, you know, you, you, you hear about antioxidants, but what are antioxidants, right? Mm -hmm. What is oxidative stress? And so when you start reading about it and start understanding what those are, it's very, very, very scary. They're basically uh, oxidative stress or free radicals. They're everywhere. You know, your body makes free radicals. It's basically unstable oxygen molecules that steal other electrons from your cells. And kind of like the, the rotten apple in the barrel. Once there's a free radical, it, it takes off. Yep. To offset the free radicals, there's antioxidants. So antioxidants are electron donors. So they just give electrons. And so stop that process from spreading even further. So they balance off, so the antioxidants balance off the free radicals. So if you're having free radicals in your body because you have such inflammation from the toxic foods and the bad oils and the Oreo cookies and things like that that you're, that you're having, well, you could be eating antioxidants like blueberries. What else? 
I mean, you have a lot in your smoothies, right? Yeah, I have a lot of my smoothies. Well, here's the thing. Free radicals are basically all your junk food. So you're eating free radicals. Oreo cookies are free radical. I mean, all this stuff that it's made with a lot of chemicals. It's just you're eating free radicals. But you, your body naturally makes free radicals. So when you're working out, your body uh, gives off free radicals. But your body is so wise that it makes antioxidants for those free radicals. It's just that to, in today's age, today's world that we live in, we are as humans making way too many radicals pollution just by the water that we're drinking. Being surrounded by so many devices, so many electronic devices. And so we are making more free radicals than our body can, can offset. We don't make enough toxins for those free radicals. And so we are just a bag of, you know, once you start accumulating free radicals and that becomes oxidative stress. And that's basically what age is. When you get older, it's basically an accumulation of oxidative stress. And so you start to age your organs, age your skin ages. But there's a thing about, you know, like premature aging. You start to premature age when you start to, um, so like me, I was, what, 28 years old at the time. And I was feeling like I was 85. I was, I had gray hair. I was starting to get, get gray hair. I was starting to see wrinkles. I was starting to see uh, stretch marks. I was starting to see all the stuff that I saw in older women. I was like, wait a minute, I'm only 28. But I saw that as, you know, oh, well, I'm a mom. You know, that's, that's what happens. And, oh, you know, I'm just stressed out. It's just, that's what it is. And I guess I'm just gracefully aging. Yeah, that's the norm is the idea that you, we have to age. I mean, yes, we do, but it doesn't have to be at 28. <laughs> For me, it's ridiculous that right now, so many women in their 20s and their 30s are not able to get pregnant. And there's like, we are aging and we are stopping ourselves from being healthy because of all this nonsense that's around us. We're just accum accumulating toxins. We're eating more toxins yeah. than nutrients. <laughs> and so, yeah, to answer your questions for the antioxidants, you know, the number one source of antioxidants of the typical American, can you guess what it is? Coffee. Oh, yeah, that's it. makes sense. That makes sense. That's it. That's where we get our antioxidants from. Yeah. So based on that, I went cold turkey because I was on a on a on a timer. <laughs> it's either that or I die. I was in a sense of urgency. I was in so much pain. I started to uh, find ways to make health fun and uh, make food that was fun too because I wanted to eat. I didn't want to just eat lettuce and tomatoes. And so um, I didn't, I mean, I, I, I didn't know how to cook them, but I remember signing up to this, you know, meal kits that they send you in the mail. Um, yeah. so fresh and easy, I think it was. And I remember like learning from cooking from, from those recipes. And I was like, wait, what's farro? <laughs> what is this? And so it's like new, new ingredients that I would never otherwise have bought myself in the supermarket. Eventually, as I got deeper into the rabbit hole of learning about molecules and chemicals that are happening in the body, the reactions, I started to like, oh, well, what if, yeah, let's not put this. And started just changing my recipes until I stopped using their ingredients and started using my own ingredients. And so I discontinued it. And I remember I was like, cool, now I, I learned how the basics down of cooking. It was a long journey, mm. but I started to see the difference. And I'm still in the journey and I'm never going to learn everything that I need to learn. I'm constantly learning every single day and I'm learning things and, and it's never, it's never going to end. It's never my learning. When did you start seeing 
symptoms decrease and having, you know, I started to see symptoms decrease within the first, uh, I want to say two, three weeks. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Started to see my energy increase. That was the first thing I saw. The first thing I saw was, so just to give you a little background of what I would do in the day, uh, in a nutshell, I would wake up at around 9.30, 10 a.m. in the morning and then go back to bed for good at noon. I had a small window of uh, being able to stay awake. Because you were so exhausted because of the Crohn's? No energy. I was so exhausted. And even if I like walked around, I felt heavy. I felt like my bones were heavy and I felt like an 85-year-old woman. Mm. And so I had a full-time nanny and I was like, the only thing I wanted, the only thing I wanted was to get energy. Like, how do I get energy? So I don't have to have someone love and take care of my child. I want to play with my son. That was one thing I was aiming for. Energy. So you removed all the the toxins from your from your life, right? Immediately, just removed everything. Started learning more and digging into the chemical reactions on your body, and started having more antioxidants. Learning how to cook as well from all of these kind of meal delivery programs. Did you? Was there any specific types of foods that really made a difference for you that you saw just skyrocketed your energy very quickly? Here's the thing. The first thing that I saw. Uh, and it wasn't food. It was water. Okay. To me, that's health 101. And I didn't know that at the time until I came across this biohacker by the name of Matt Blackwood. I'm sure a lot of you guys know him. But he was really into water. And I remember following all these health-conscious people, and no one, no one talked about water. I remember researching diets, researching types of things that I could do, and but no one mentioned anything about water. Hmm. And so when I started learning, the simple truth is that water is one of the most important nutrients. There is nothing more fundamental to a healthy life than water. I mean, it's the foundation for all ecosystems on the planet. And so for me to, for me to, to not start there, it seemed like dumb. <laughs> I was like, wait, mm. this is where I need to start. I need to start with water. And what's in my water? What am I drinking? And um, I started to realize it's not about, you know, it's not the quantity of water that you drink. It's about the quality. Thousands of years ago, we got our water from natural sources. And today we get it from the middleman. We get it from tap water, straight from the water recycling systems. You know, that's the water that you're bathing with and the water that you're cooking with. And I had no idea that water comes from freaking the sewer. Half of the people have no idea mm-hmm. that the water that you're drinking is being cleaned with really harsh chemicals, right? So basically they're turning your your poop into into the crystal clear water that you're drinking. And that has to go through a whole process. I want you as an experiment (laughs) to try to do that at home. (laughs) Let's see how many chemicals you have to use to turn your poop into water. I'm just gonna be not drinking my water. If if I had to make that experiment, I just wouldn't stop drinking water. The moment I started to realize that and start to change my, my water habits, that's the moment I started to see like my energy increase. So you started drinking more water or you started drinking just like reverse osmosis water or what type of water? It was super high quality water. So I started drinking, so it was reverse osmosis water and right away started to also learn the importance of electrolytes because we're all so freaking depleted in, in minerals. Our soil no longer has the minerals that we need, right? Our soils have been... Uh, even if it's, you know, your produce is organic, it's, it's been grown in the same soil over and over and over again. 
And so, you know, thousands of years ago, we, we got our minerals and our, our, basically our electrolytes, which is our, our magnesium or potassium or calcium in water, in natural water. And it's no longer there anymore because it goes through this whole recycling process and everything gets lost. So I started to add uh, electrolytes into my water using, um, and I, we, we could post a, a recipe for that. It's very easy. It's yeah. a $50 investment that, uh, for a whole year. It will last you a whole year. So we'll spend $50 for a whole year. But it's basic soda maker because you need the carbonation to infuse the electrolytes into the water. Mm -hmm. So it's reverse osmosis, soda maker, and you add a little bit of, uh, you add a pinch of potassium, a pinch of calcium, uh, a pinch of uh, aluminum-free sodium bicarbonate, and half a teaspoon of magnesium hydroxide. Shake it up and then leave it in the fridge. Let the sediments go, you know, uh, the bottom of it yeah they, they flow to the bottom yeah and then just use the clear water and transfer it to a, a container and then drink that through throughout the whole week in your water so add a little bit at a time in your water so that and becomes kind of the concentrate that you then add into a, a glass of regular water yes yeah, so does it ta- does it make it make the water taste saltier or does or there's no taste no, it tastes amazing like it tastes delicious okay it any like weird flavors I mean I'm drinking it now and I've been drinking it for years every day and so that so those are the minerals that you're saying we're missing from a lot of the soil that we were, were not yeah. from the mm-hmm. produce in the soil and the things like like that because it's just depleted completely in today's day and age yeah. I mean, we're all depleted we're deficient in, in magnesium that's like one of the conductors of the thousands of enzymes that we have in our body mm-hmm. and you know if you don't have magnesium in your diet or in your water or i mean you're talking about like major mitochondrial dysfunction that it's so i mean it's, it's happening to everyone like you see it in low, as low energy stress mm-hmm. on its own stress depletes a lot of magnesium mm-hmm. and you see that in, in people not being able to go to sleep so it's like lack of sleep is one of the symptoms low energy right mm-hmm. and stress who's that that's everyone. Yeah. That's everybody. Yeah. And it's a vicious cycle too, because the foods, so it's the foods that you're eating are depleted. Then because they're depleted, you're not getting enough magnesium and other nutrients in your, in your body, which is causing you not to be fully full of energy throughout the day, which is causing you to want to sleep throughout the, you know, and then that kind of throughout the day, you're just feeling exhausted. You end up not getting enough sleep because chances are you're sitting in front of devices that have a lot of blue light right before you go to sleep so you're not having melatonin production and then because you're not sleeping well throughout the night then it's just a vicious circle that starts again the next day when you start having food that again is continuously depleted from the things that we need yeah it's a little, nice little picture of, of the world <laughs> and then to top it off the water that you drink and that comes from your faucet, it's that water that, that my mom used for cooking and I use for cooking. If I wanted to make a soup, I just get, you know, water from the faucet and boil it and then just add my tomatoes or whatever I wanted to add in there. You get all these heavy metals that's in your water. Actually, if you and your listeners have time right now, go to ewg.org, type in your zip code, pick your water facility that's currently uh, in, your, in your water bill. And then they'll have a breakdown of all the stuff that's in your water. 
all the toxins, all the stuff that's in there. You're going to see, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of heavy metals. There's also a lot of uh, agriculture runoff, mm-hmm. like glyphosate. There's other, I mean, hard to spell chemicals in there that hurt your liver and your gut lining. And then bottled water. Let's talk about bottled water, right? Yeah. Bottled water is, it's, it's basically tap water. And, but not only that, you get high amounts of nanoplastics that are known to be endocrine disruptors. And then you get unbalanced, you know, hormones are unbalanced. And, you know, not only that, but nanoplastics clog up your liver. So they make your sluggish liver. That's your filtration system. So what do you do when you're traveling and you don't have your, you know, your homemade concoction ready for your, ready to go? I, I take it with me. <laughs> That's what I do. So I take, if it's like two or three days of traveling, I pack my water, my, my, my concentrate. And then I'll, there's usually a Whole Foods around me wherever I go. So they usually have like reverse osmosis machines in there where I could just grab my RO of water and then just put my concentrate in there. But if it's for longer trips, then I will take my soda maker and my powders. <laughs> You'll take the whole kit with you? Yeah, I'll take the whole kit with me. Have you heard of uh, Kinton or Totem Sport? Mm, no. I'll have to send you some sachets. There's, so it's this, it's, I think, I can't remember the total number of minerals, but it's a little sachet that you can travel with and it has all the minerals that are in the, in the seawater. Um, so you can just drink that. It tastes like seawater. It's not very pleasant, but it's full of the minerals that most of our water is depleted from. Yeah. Kinton, Kinton essential. I love taking the little, little vials. Yeah. And then, yes, I take, I take it before flights and after, but they doesn't have enough magnesium in there. Okay. Lots more than that. Yeah, but those are just good potentially for traveling, right? If you're, yeah, like if you're great to take them, to take them with you. In terms of your journey, right? It sounds like you. I mean, you hit a wall, and it was fix myself or else. I think a lot of people have that. Some don't, though. And so, for those people who are just saying, "Okay, I want to get better," or you know, where would they start? Where, I mean, where did you start or where do you recommend other people to start? I mean, it depends, right? Because there's always a reason why they want to be or are attracted to health or looking into health, right? So what is the reason? Are you, it's just maintenance? If it's just maintenance, continue eating whatever you're eating, whole foods and whatever you feel good. So if you just maintenance, do whatever you're doing. But if it's because you're starting to see you know, your energy levels go down or you're starting to become more stressed out or there's, there's always a reason, right? One of the things that I, was, that I learned through my journey, and this applies with my company, you know, I was able to identify the five things that make people premature age and what was happening to me. My company started out of my own desperation. I wasn't thinking about selling nutrient-dense smoothies to people. I, I made them for myself. So five things that I was able to see. There is inflammation, right? Um, chronic inflammation. That's also very common. That's one of, one of the five things of premature aging. We already talked about oxidative stress, so accumulation of free radicals. There's also uh, gut dysbiosis, super common. There's also cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. And there's also energy, your mood, mitochondrial dysfunction. So those five things, I focused on those five things. I was able to, you know, at the time, 
anything that I would eat would hurt my stomach. It would feel like a Brillo pad was going through my intestines. So I couldn't absorb anything. My hydrochloric acid in my stomach was so weak and I couldn't absorb anything. And I told myself, okay, well, I can't absorb anything, but I want something in the mornings that is nutrient dense that I could just uh, blend and because I need that form of pre-digestion. I need, you know, the blender does that. And I need to be able to identify superfoods or these potent herbs that, you know, will direct each one of those five causes. That's when I came across, you know, learning about like the, the superfoods and learning about like chaga mushrooms and lion's mane. And like, wait, what do you mean? I could add this into my smoothie and get, you know, get my inflammation go down. And, and it's like, it's one of those things where like, if I put all those foods that I put in my smoothies into a bowl, there's no way I could finish the whole thing. There's no way I could eat it. Mm-hmm. And first of all, and they're not available. Like you can't walk into Whole Foods and get fresh chaga or fresh lion's mane. Like it's just not there. But it's like, I, those are the foods that I was able to identify that were super high in the ORAC scale. Now the ORAC scale is the um, oxidative radical absorbency scale. So basically it's, it, it scales uh, the power of antioxidants in food. So when you look at that scale, you're going to see all the foods around the world that have the highest amounts of antioxidants. How do you spell it? O-R-A-X? ORAC. ORAC. So you could see uh, all the superfoods around the world that have the highest amounts of antioxidants. And uh, antioxidants are the ones that are going to basically combat inflammation and you know, really like help you in many ways. You're talking about like, there's, there's the flavonoids and there's like the different polyphenols and, and the different compounds that these antioxidants are. I remember going into, uh, I was going into Pepperdine University and I was like, I was just like, I was living in the, in the library there. By the way, if any of you guys have a chance to go in there, you don't have to be a student. There are a lot of people to go in there and it's like the most beautiful library with like the most beautiful ocean views. Mm-hmm. It's on the hill, right? Yes. Oh my God, the library is so beautiful. Okay. So I have the five causes. And there's all these superfoods that are shown. I mean, there's studies done on this. You could find studies. I mean, it's, it's been studied for thousands of years in this Chinese medicine and Ayurveda medicine. It's, it's been proven. And uh, there's also, for those of you that are not believers, there's, there's studies that are coming out of uh, uh, Tokyo University and, um, you know, University Eastern, Eastern Universities. So you can find a load of information. But I realized that, okay, well, I went into my nerdy mode and I started to break down the constituents of each of the superfoods. So you're telling me that maca has this enzyme that if you put it together with chaga, this enzyme from maca is able to boost the superoxide dismutase from chaga. That's amazing. So I basically built a Jenga puzzle with all these uh, uh, superfoods and made smoothies for myself. So I had smoothies for everything. I had smoothies for you know, gray hair. Why is gray hair happening, right, in my hair? Oh, it's a, an accumulation of, of uh, hydrogen peroxide. Oh, because there's not enough catalase in my body and there's not enough, you know, uh, SODs, superoxide dismutase. What are the foods that contain this as superoxide dismutase and catalase? How can I stimulate those two antioxidants that will help my hair, you know, um, go back to the color that it was? 
And so I, this smoothie I was drinking for, for months. And I remember like, you know, I remember I said that I had gray hair. Like mm. now it's like, there's nothing. There's like no gray hair. This is like my natural hair color. And I remember like seeing my transformation, like little by little, like my body transform. If you look at my pictures, I look, I think 15 years younger, mm. like confuse me and my son. Like they say, like, are you like his sister? So it's crazy. Wow. It's like, I tried so hard for years to look so pretty in the outside. And like, I put all this makeup, I dyed my hair blonde. I like did, you know, self do tanning sprays. And it's like, now it's like, no, it's like, it all starts from the inside as cliche as it sounds, but it starts from the inside. Yeah. And when, when people say, Oh, okay, well, your skin is so beautiful or so, so clean or so shiny or whatever it is. Like, actually yeah. it's not the products. It's not all the, the expensive things that you're putting on it. It's probably the foods that you're eating that is allowing your skin to, to shine as it does. This is what I tell people. And you're answering my question is, uh, you know, they always want to know what is that one supplement or one thing that you took, you take that change you know i say the reason why i was having crohn's disease is because it was an accumulation of my habits it's a bunch of little things that i was doing every single day for years that mm. cost it. it's going to be a series of events that is going to get me out of that it's not going to be one thing it's not going to be just drinking chaga every day it's going to be a series of things that is going to get me out like I said, you know, like changing my diet, cleaning my pantry, cleaning my the products I was eating. Those are the little things that, that started to make a difference. So like if you saw like when, when I threw away all my stuff that I was putting on my face and my, my deodorants and every my shampoos and everything, it's not that one deodorant is going to make a difference. It's like an accumulation, like the trash can was full of stuff that I was using every single day. And it's like hundreds of chemicals hundreds of chemicals if you put them all together like if you write down all the chemicals from yeah. ingredients same thing with what I was eating and I think that's a really good point too that you know when people are saying oh well you know it's this little it, you know you're going to do that one thing it's like no actually in this health world it's doing a bunch of little things that when added together they're actually going to make a difference so it's the water that you're drinking, it's whether you're, you know, taking specific supplements or, you know, or at least having really good food and having, you know, taking the supplements in the form of food, right? Good, kind of good nutrient dense food. It's the chemicals that you're putting onto your skin. It's like all these little things that, you know, it's those little things that made us sick in the beginning is the reason why we were sick. So it's like, all right, let's start stripping it away, stripping it away and removing or just upgrading those little things. To me, it's really overwhelming because it's almost like the veil has been lifted, you know? And once you start re-asking those questions of this is not the norm, you know, it's not the norm to be frying in canola oil. Maybe that's the norm, but that's not my new norm as I'm going forward, you know, and I need to change that. It's like, it's almost like the red pill versus the blue pill. It's like, you know, this veil has been lifted over you and now you have to go and do something about it, which, which to me, I think that's quite scary just because it's, it's kind of forcing you to take control of your decisions, like your buying decisions, rather than just going with what, you know, your friends do or what you've grown up eating. It's actually making a choice. Yeah. Well, it's obviously not working because I mean, half of this country has diabetes and, you know, heart disease and all of that. 
Yeah, it's definitely like not easy when I tell people like these are the things that I did. And one of the number one question is, what if I just do 25% of that? Like without, you know, it's like, I then mean, you'll get 25% of the of the outcome. <laughs> Maybe. It's important because I see a lot of people like, oh, all these supplements and they're they're taking, especially right now with coronavirus, there's like a list of like supplements that you know that are out there. And like, you know, people are like filling up their cabinets with supplements, but it's like, mm, you know, what's more important? It's the 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 toxins, you know, also getting rid of the toxins. So you get nutrients in, toxins out. You know, so if you're gonna increase your supplements, also decrease the toxins that you're ingesting. That's important. One of the most common toxins that is just this, basically, I, I believe this toxin is, it's responsible for a lot of chronic diseases and responsible for a lot of the things that, 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 that you know, especially a lot of the ailments that people are getting today. When I was in school, like it wasn't common to see little kids with diabetes. And now it's very common. It's very common to, to meet little toddlers with Crohn's. It wasn't like that before. But one of the most common ingredients or one of the most common toxins is glyphosate. I don't think people really understand the gravity of, of this situation. They hear about Roundup, but they don't know the serious implications of, of health that glyphosate can do. For those of you that don't know what glyphosate is, it's basically an herbicide and a pesticide that is used in, in non-organic Food. And it's also used in tennis courts. It's, it's used in, in parks to kill uh, weeds from growing. I'm going to give you more details about that because it's horrifying and everybody should know what it does. The gly in glyphosate stands for glycine, an amino acid that is prevalent in your collagen. And collagen is a main protein in the connective tissues in your skin and your organ. And, and uh, it is the most abundant protein in humans, pretty much. And if you have gut issues, this is really important to know because collagen is also most important protein in the lining of colon for structure and healing. So it's essential for storing a battery intestinal lining like me. So, I mean, I, one of my, my things that helped me along the way was collagen, but we're talking about glyphosate. So glyphosate is basically the amino acid glycine attached to a methylphosphonyl group, which happens to be an ingredient in chemical weapons. Uh, especially nerve gas. So this means that every time you consume glyphosate, it can be incorporated into your collagen because your body's confusing it for glycine. So it becomes part of your collagen matrix for years. It becomes part of your skin, becomes part of your body. And I, I just feel like, you know, I mean, it, it's everywhere, right? right, right. Glyphosate, is, it's a known carcinogen. And uh, it has implicated in the vitamin D deficiency that we're having in the U.S. because it blocks one of the liver enzymes that turns vitamin D3 into its active form. It's not crazy. Let me wrap my head around this. <laughs> so you're saying that there is a compound which is in within glyphosate, right? The, the second part of it, which is included in chemical weapons. When it's combined with glycine, your body confuses it for collagen and it's included into the collagen matrix of your body which the collagen matrix of your body is the reason why we have skin elasticity it's the reason for your gut lining so it's kind of embedded in throughout our entire body right mm -hmm. collagen and so by eating glyphosate or eating fruits and vegetables that have been grown mm -hmm. within like soil that has used roundup which has glyphosate in it mm -hmm. we are ultimately 
eating glyphosate through the fruits and vegetables, which is confusing our bodies and poisoning our bodies. I mean, it, because it's a carcinogen, it's potentially aiding the growth of cancerous cells in our body. Yes, you got it. I mean, glyphosate came out in, I think it's in 19, 1963, but it wasn't an herbicide back then. It was uh, 1961. It wasn't an herbicide. It was used as a chelator for minerals. So people used it in their household as a cleaning agent to a mineral deposits and drains in your pipes, you know, and you get like the white stuff around yeah. your, your sink. So people use that to chelate because it makes the, the minerals or the metals, the heavy metals, uh, water soluble and easily re- removable. So just imagine, I mean, what, who else needs minerals in their body, <laughs> right? Yes. So yeah. you're ingesting it and it's chelating your minerals that we're already deficient in. I venture to say that, you know, it's probably one of the causes to, and I haven't researched this part, but it's probably one of the causes of osteoporosis as well and cavities, right? Because it's in your drinking water as well. I mean, when I say it's everywhere, it's everywhere. Why is it in our drinking water? Because you get agriculture runoff. We have a whole piping infrastructure. And a lot of these pipes have been around since the Lincoln era. So you get a lot of cast iron pipes that are broken. And so you get like the, the agriculture runoff that goes into the piping system as well. So by the time you get into your tap water, you get glyphosate. So I say, when, when I say go to ewg.org, you'll see how much glyphosate is in your water. I didn't know this, by the way. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this. This is insane. You know, that's why I'm so big, huge when it comes to just nothing but organic, because I know that this was one of the reasons why, you know, most people are having gut issues. It's devastating to know that it's affecting your vitamin D3, which we're already deficient in. It's affecting your minerals. We're already messed, messed up with that. And it's, it's causing a lot of other issues. So then this is when the part comes interesting around, around the seventies, there was this guy, John France, so he was, uh, he discovered that uh, glyphosate could be used as a herbicide, and he was working for Monsanto. That's why I wanted to give him Oh credit. boy, yeah. So it's kind of like right out of a bad comic book, right? Evil scientist John Franz discovers that glyphosate is a weed killer and is patented as such around that time. Yeah. So now around the 70s, that's when uh, Monsanto brings glyphosate in the market as Roundup. And now, like, you could buy Roundup right now at Home Depot for a few bucks. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe it's still being sold. I can't believe people are using it. Even though there's a fight. I mean, I think there was a guy that, you know, a gardener that got cancer and won, like, millions of dollars from Monsanto for the Roundup, Mm -hmm. causing cancer. But it's something that, you know, the World Health Organization, if you look at, on their website, they'll say like, it's a carcinogen. It is a carcinogen. You know, when you go to a hospital, if you do go to a hospital, you're not getting fed organic food, right? Mm-hmm. So potentially, let's say you go in for a surgery, you get something done, you're in the hospital for a couple of days or, or worse, right? For longer, you're eating the food that's there, that's full of glyphosate, that's impacting every all of your system, your entire system, right? Yes, and then the, the average American is eating this for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks, every single day. Do you know, is, is glyphosate not allowed in, in Europe or in other countries? I haven't looked into that. Huh. I'd be curious if, you know, how MSG has been, and, and GMO foods in general have been de- banned in certain countries. I wonder yeah. if, if glyphosate is as well, or if perhaps the reason why non-GMO foods 
are or GMO foods are banned in certain countries is because of the glyphosate. Generical modified seeds, basically, that are uh, glyphosate tolerant crops. So they could grow these uh, GMO seeds and uh, and then spray them with glyphosate without killing the crops, but it kills all the weeds around them. Do you eat any non-organic food or are you, are you very strict? People say like, well, that's expensive. Guess what? My bills, of my medical bills, I'm still paying for them. I'm still paying for them. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I think one of my surgeries was uh, $30,000 and supposedly had the best insurance. They didn't even want to cover my emergency paramedics. And that, that cost alone was $5,000 trip to the hospital. That's one surgery. I have four surgeries. So health is expensive, but surgeries are more expensive. Well, I don't know. And then my, my child, he eats a lot of strawberries. He eats a lot of berries, a lot of, a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables. There's not way. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to chance it. I don't care. But yeah, it's also like, just think about it. Uh, you know, the cotton, your cotton is also, most of, most of it is uh, non-organic. And so mm-hmm. women use it as, uh, you know, tampons. And you, know, you use that every day in, in causes. It, I mean, it just, it's linked to uh, uh, reproductive issues. I mean, really? Do you have to, oh, can you send me, if you have studies on that, I'd be really interested to see those. Because yeah, I, th- I mean, I do think that the menstrual product category is getting completely disrupted and people are starting to say, yeah, tampons are not the way forward. You know, I think there was, <laughs> there was a, a comedy that I saw the other day. I can't remember who it was, but basically was, he was saying that tampons were definitely created by a man because think about it. It's a problem. It's a problem. What do you do with it? You plug it up. <laughs> and it's, and, and it's true. It's, it's, you know, you are using cotton, which if cotton has glyphosate in it and you're sticking that up yourself, you know, and I mean, it's just sprayed. I mean, that stuff that goes up your your genitals, and it's like non-organic with sprayed with glyphosate. I can't. After reading or learning about this. Okay. So, what do you do with your when you go out? You know, with your kid or with yourself? Like, you know, how do you do? You just try and minimize going to restaurants or places that don't have organic food, or is it one of those things where you just say, "Listen, I do as much as I can at home, and then when I'm out, then I." can take that chance for that 10% or whatever it is? No, I'm very serious about it. I love being in the kitchen. I love the kitchen. I'm, I mean, I pretty much spend most of my time more so in the kitchen than in my bedroom. And I love cooking and I love creating new recipes. And my recipes are super easy. Like I have a couple of cookbooks that I could link to, to your yeah. uh, listeners and you guys can have a free PDF. But it's just basic recipes that you could do in less than 10 minutes. It doesn't take that many ingredients. But I like inventing new food and especially for my son. I don't like to go to restaurants really because I know that most restaurants use canola oil and canola oil is full of glyphosate because canola canola and corn are the crops that are used the, the most. The two big crops, yeah, that, that have Roundup or, non-G- or GMO. Yeah. When I do, I have a handful of restaurants in LA where I know that they're sustainable. I know that the, the chefs, I don't personally know them, but I read about them and I know that how much they care about each ingredient that goes in there. Mm. Uh, most of this, I mean, they have three or four restaurants and uh, they grow, most of them grow their own crops in their own you know, uh, area. And so, or they bring it from uh, local farmers around. And so, uh, and I like like places like that farm to table restaurants. Mm-hmm. So yeah. travel, I always look for um, farm to table restaurants, not the cheapest restaurants. If I want to enjoy a good meal, 
then you know I'll go to I'll go to restaurants like that your journey is a long one right what would you wish that you would have known 20 years ago oh that's a freaking good question oh man you know why because all my mistakes and everything that I've gone through I've gone through so much I've gone through so much and everything that I went through took me into this journey so there's not one thing I wish I would have known I think if you would have asked me if you you know next question if that's the question is that would you repeat your life over again and do it properly and no I'd be like I want the same mistakes because I'm I I am where I'm supposed to be I I love I love that because oftentimes we say, okay, well, we wish we could have done this better or not had Crohn's or not done this or not done that. So. I like that I had Crohn's. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here talking about glyphosate and how important it is to know that and like, teaching it to other people and, you know, learning from the things that I did. And, and, and also, it also helped me emotionally uh, grow, really uh, emotionally grow and, and look deep inside and, and look in there and, and um, you know, be quiet. Oh, I mean, on that topic, the emotional path and the and the work inside, and even the spiritual side. Where where has that led you? That where has this path led you from that standpoint? You know, kind of going within, and how much of health is also part of spirituality for you? You know, it's so funny because I've never been. You know, I grew up in a Catholic family, a very strict Catholic family, hmm. and so. And, and being shamed, there was a lot of shame there with sexuality, right? And uh, being, there's a lot of shame about like um, staying a virgin for the right man and like saving yourself for the right man. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where like I decided that I didn't want to follow that, you know, after I turned 21. You know, it took me a long time to oof, get back and, and again, unlearn the things that I was taught as a, in my childhood, that it's okay to be sexual as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm probably not answering that question. <laughs> my spirituality is sort of, I don't know, I think I'm going to go back to the, same, to the same answer. And it's like that little girl, just, just following that little girl. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, you know, kids, you know, they're so... They're so in the moment, right? They don't care. They don't think. They don't. They don't premeditate. No, they go with it. They go with the flow. They don't think about the future. They don't think about the past. Like maybe like their toe hurts because they 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 kick something and then like they'll cry and then like within seconds they're fine. Like nothing happened. And so it's like you know I see little kids and it's like I wanna. That's my spirituality. Like I wanna learn how to be in the moment, and I wanna learn to be like to like be curious about, you know, like an adventurous and try to understand and ask questions, right? Kids ask a lot of questions, but why, but why, but why? There is a point, you know, as you turn into an older uh, person, you stop asking questions because probably someone, there was someone out there that told you, stop asking questions. You're asking too many questions, right? And just conform. And so it's like, but when I look at little kids, they're like, all kids, all of them are little scientists. The little scientists are out there. They're trying to like explore and understand the world. And so I think that's my spirituality. Just like, you know, try to get back to that, 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 that person I was and, and sort of like, you know, be free, be free from, from, from stress and just be free from, 
you know, obstacles and, 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 and things that, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, like, you know, like, I don't know this. I wish I knew this. Like, I don't know enough of this or like, this is, you know, that I'm not good enough to do this. Constantly had to put myself back and then and look at that person. And that's my spirituality. I don't know if I answered it. Correct. No, no, no. It, there's no right answer. It was just more curiosity, I guess. What you said about as a female and, that, and the sexuality and kind of repressing that or not being comfortable with it or, or what, I mean, talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is something that I really haven't talked about much actually. So you're the first person that asked me that. Yeah. It was hard for me to grow up and constantly having, you know, my parents voice in my head. It's like, you know, if you have sex with any boy, they're not, they're, they're only using you. They don't love you. And then sort of like, like, fear to have fear with sex and oh my god if I give it up like he he's just not gonna respect me Mm. and so that was the 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 message that my parents gave me with sexuality and so I was like really scared of like sex and 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 growing up and and scared of um you know try to save myself for that one lucky person right yeah like kidding me myself I'm not gonna give myself to some person like myself is for myself it's mm. for me not for somebody else it's sort of like getting out of that shell and now that I'm getting older it's sort of like I've taken hold of my sexuality it's like hell yeah it's okay to be sexy hell yeah it's okay too if I want to take a picture of my freaking bathing suit and post it on fucking social media I'm gonna do that <laughs> I'm gonna do that and uh, there's no shame on that because I feel good, I feel pretty, feel good. I'm going to take that shot. I'm going to post it there. And it's sort of like when we get shamed into like not sexualizing or liking our bodies, right? It took me a long time to find myself sexy. And now it's like, hell yeah, I'm sexy. And hell yeah, I want, you know, I want sex sometimes, you know, and it's okay. That doesn't make me a hoe, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't make me a floozy. <laughs> <laughs> And it goes back to the same thing. It's unlearning. It's unlearning. I mean, I, I also went to Catholic school and it was the same thing, same thing of, you know, it's, it's, you must hold that in. It's the, the idea of, of kind of the Virgin, right? The Virgin Mary, the idea of purity, if you will, where was that drilled into our heads and what do we need to unlearn? And, and also, you know, not going crazy as well, right? Because we've been so repressed in certain ways, Mm -hmm. then we go the exact opposite. And, you know, you, you have the, the typical thing of, okay, a Catholic school girl, you know, what does she do immediately when she goes to college? She goes nutso, you know? Um, and it's, okay, well, where is that balance? Where is that middle line? And, and also where is the respect that we have for ourselves, you know? And I think that to me is the thing that kind of relearning that of what do I want and where is my respect for myself? So yeah, if I want to wear something that's revealing, then I know biologically what the reactions are probably going to be, right? And and taking ownership of that and saying, okay, yes, if I wear something revealing, I'm going to get more looks. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, and you, you hit a good point. You said, you know, as long as you don't, you know, take it to, to the other extreme not linking your body as that's the only way I'm going to be loved because I was doing that right growing up. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 
my body and my beauty equals love. You know, that's one of the things where uh, a lot of, I mean, I see that a lot, you know, especially for beautiful girls, because beautiful girls have been told, you know, forever, since they were little, like, you're so pretty, you're so pretty everywhere they go, right? You're so cute. And you go to like Instagram, you know, you see the comments, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're so hot, you're so pretty, blah, 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 blah. So it's like, that's what they they know, that's what they've been told. Yeah. And it's like, it depends where, where that comes from. Does that come from a validation and that's the way that you want to feel like you're loved? Or is it come from self-confidence, you know, knowing that, that you know, that's not going to be conditional to love, yeah, right? Yeah, so is it, is it self-confidence? Is it, is it sort of owning you know your sexuality owning that you're a beautiful person owning that you're a freaking human being right don't tell me that some women don't like think about sex like we think about sex like are you kidding me like are we thinking about like you know like you know the clouds and like you know unicorns no like you know we think about sex it's like why why is it okay for a guy to like (laughs) for them to be okay and like for women to like not think about sex yeah like men go to the beach and they were like, you know, they're shirtless and they were like trunks. It's like, I want to be shirtless sometimes, to be honest. Like, I don't, sometimes like, you know, I get hot at the beach and I don't want tan lines. It's like, why don't dudes get to show their nipples? You know? yeah. Every time I see uh, tan lines, you know, on yourself when you, when, kind of when you're in the bathroom, to me, I almost feel like the rest of my body has been imprisoned and it looks, because it looks like jail cells. You know, yeah. if you have a, kind of a, a bikini or a tank top or something like that, then you see the tan lines and it literally feels like it's the rest of your body, your nipples, your whatever. It's all, it's all been covered in this jail cell. It's like, why are we doing that? Why is that? You know, and it is, it's just freaking societal norms of don't show nipples. Current society, but if you look at other tribes, you know, that has that people, they're walking around, you know, they're walking around with no shirts and, and just like, maybe like a little phone covering them and uh, maybe maybe you know men too they, they, they have the same uniform and so it's like they're not like checking them out like Whoa, when they're walking by it's sort of like it's a norm it's a yeah. normal you just chose to you know put a, a filter on that yeah yeah and i think also society has gone really hyper sexualized too right i mean i see girls on instagram who are 15 years old, they look like they're 25 and they're posing in these, you know, sexy poses or whatever it is and like showing everything. It's like, well, when did my, you know, me at 15, I wasn't looking like that. No, no way. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to wear makeup like that. I wasn't, I mean, now again, there's, there's, I know that it changes, but I do feel like we've almost become too sexualized and the music, the shows, the movies, everything that's out there. I mean, it's almost like we are showing our young girls, hey, the way that you're going to get likes and the way that other men are going or men are going to like you is by you looking like a porn star almost, you know? And it also, it's interesting because if that's what men see, then that's what they're going to want, right? We're not necessarily promoting a, an image of a woman who is very confident even by being fully dressed. I look at Meghan Markle. I look at Amal Clooney. Like to me, they are beautifully feminine, fantastically. I mean, I respect the hell out of them. And they are extreme sex symbols as well, I think, right? They blend this grace. And to me, that is the epitome of a woman that I want to look up to. And they don't have to be in a bikini or they don't have to be hypersexualized. Yeah, women themselves. So how do you think we, us women, are doing that to men in a way? Because I see that. Okay, so here's an example. 
like we usually like when a girlfriend says, you know, like, Hey, I have a boyfriend. The first question that we ask is what does he do for a living? Right. I think the currency for women is not physical, like evaluating a man and where he falls in the, in the hierarchy. Right. I think it's not a physical thing. I think it's a, are they a, or is that man successful, able to provide, going to be a good father, going to stick around, you know, all of those things. So I think it's a, I don't think it's an immediate thing. I think it's something that is bigger, right? Because the fear, I mean, even, even, yeah, the fear is, okay, he, you know, we're going to be together and then he flies off, right? So I think for a woman today, the currency is, is the man successful and going to stick around versus for a man, the currency is, is she pretty? Is she going to age well? Is she just hot? And are all my friends going to be jealous? Yes, I agree. So I read something years ago, years ago, so I'm probably going to botch this, but I read that men are attracted to beauty. The reason why they're attracted to beauty is because, and for example, uh, the hips. If it's an hourglass figure, then you're potentially having uh, more fertile. Yeah, more fertile and the ability to carry a child. And also rest. Are you going to be able to feed my child and hair, hair and skin uh, will tell a man that if, whether you're healthy or not. Mm-hmm. And also will tell if you are uh, uh, old enough for the, for the gene pool, mm-hmm. right? Or too old for the gene pool. Yeah. And for women is stability because when we're pregnant, if you think about it, we're pretty much handicapped. And, you know, especially when you're eight or nine months, you can hardly walk. Mm-hmm. And so like, is he going to go hunt? And is he going to, is he strong enough to provide? Is he going to stick around and, and come back and not leave me here alone? So it's kind of like something that I don't think we're, we're going to be able to change because it's just wired, biologically wired for us to be attracted to those things. And it's interesting because now that women are so much in the workforce, that women are so independent, that women are so you know able to just do it all without a man, then I wonder how much that's even impacted the type of men that we're choosing because it's, I don't need a man to provide for me. I'll be able to do it on my own. Right. And so are we still looking for those same characteristics? I would say probably. Yeah. Because if you're already an alpha female, let's say, right. If you're already on the top of your game, then you're still going to want potentially an alpha male, (laughs) unless you're just a shark that just wants to, you know, have somebody around that's going to be a yes man and do all your bidding. <laughs> yeah. And then also, well, you know, we go full circle because it's, you know, has something, it has to do with how you were raised. If that's something that you saw in your, in your household. So you had, you know, yeah. a dad that was a yes man to your mom, you're probably going to be looking for a yes man for yourself. Right. 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 It's true. In, in Russian, we have a word, uh, which is, so pod is under. Kabluk is a heel, right? So a man who's a yes man or, you know, a man who is underneath the woman's heel. Um, so, you know, there's, there's those, those women who look for, for guys like that, who they can just boss around and that's, you know, that's their version of, of authority or their version of. I mean, that's what they saw growing up. They saw their mom bossing around the dad. Oh, that's love. <laughs> that's their, their, well, that's what they see as love. And that's what they see as a partner. Like your parents are the first ones to teach you what, you know, a partner yeah. should be. Partner. so when i mean just to give you an example with myself 
um, after learning, you know, going through this whole journey and, and getting married uh, and learning about like, you know, what we had just talked about or, or you know, childhood needs, uh, I look at my, my ex-husband and I'm like, oh man, you're my dad. You're exactly like my dad. It's insane. And the boyfriend before that um, shared the same birthday as my dad. And they were <laughs> quality. And I'm like, dude, I'm just like looking for my dad. This is gross. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 I see that. I see that with me as well. <laughs> and it's like hard to like swallow that because you're like, man, like how can I break this pattern? It's built into you. I mean, you've been living with it for 30 years. You know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna change. So I'm gonna hit you with a bunch of rapid fire questions. Rapid fire. You ready? Rapid fire questions. Here we go. All right. So what is your favorite health hack? Yes. So I love lion's mane right before bedtime because the hericinones in lion's mane, which is an active ingredient, stimulates uh, acetylcholine in the brain. And acetylcholine and REM sleep go hand in hand because the neurotransmitter acetylcholine is basically uh, the one that is controlling REM sleep. So you take this before bedtime, you're going to have the best dreams and you have you're gonna have really good really good colorful dreams that's my favorite and if you mix that with uh, during the daytime for focus lion's mane and nicotine together they work as a power couple nice nice i used lion's mane a lot right uh right after my concussion and i brought it basically brought my brain back up um so lion's mane is a really incredible mushroom that i would highly recommend as well what is your least favorite health hack? Oh, my least favorite? Oh, man. It's ice baths. I cringe. Like, when I have to get in there, it just takes me a long time. And I'm such a chicken when it comes to that. And, like, it's just very embarrassing. <laughs> um, but, um, like, I go, like, one foot in and, like, no, you know, maybe later. Yeah. Slowly getting in. Yeah, I hear you. What's the strangest thing that you've done or tried in the name of health? Oh, uh, polyacris ants, ants, eating ants. <laughs> Why well, did you do that? Because they have the highest amounts of zinc. And I was around the time when I was exploring zinc. Were they crunchy? They're crunchy. You can't really taste them. You could get extracts that, you know, basically, um, you know, you could get an extract, but it is still like, but I bought a bag of, of ants from China, just like straight up ants and, uh, and I ate them. <laughs> okay. So no ants in the two soul smoothies, I hope. No, no ants. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is one lesson about health that you've unlearned? Ooh, that's a huge one. Uh, I don't know if we have enough time for this one, but uh, it is supplementing with vitamin D. And I learned that vitamin D is not even a vitamin, it's a hormone. Many uh, different types of vitamin D. And so when you're supplementing with just one, it could really affect your body, especially opening up the channels for, for calcium to go into your cells. So it calcifies your cells. That's one of the things I learned. You know, just sun, just doing the sun and not really doing vitamin D anymore. So you supplement specifically with the sun for your vitamin D, but you don't actually take it in pill form. Yeah. Nice. Do you use D-Minder as an app? Uh, not really. I mean, I just go with my gut, <laughs> just like five minutes. And then, you know, I feel like I had enough. But the sun is that the, the UV index where I live in Calabasas is super high, like, like five minutes, like that you'll burn. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was in, in the sun yesterday and the UV was not index was nine. And within 20 minutes, I had 7,000 IU for the day, 20 minutes. That's all I needed. Usually you have like pill format is 4,000, right. Of vitamin D of what you need. And within 20 minutes in the sun, I had 7,000. So more than enough for the day. What would you tell your 15 year old self? Oh, my little 15 year old self is that I'll tell her to stay strong because there's good things to come. Yes, it's a whole journey you're going to go through. It's going to suck sometimes, but you're in the right track. Nice. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, learning. My m- form of meditation to, uh, to learn. So I'll open up a textbook and that makes me feel really good. So learning. The nerd, embracing the nerd in yourself. <laughs> what turns you off creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Being around entitled people. I can't be around people like that. And, uh, you know, if I'm in a room, it's just like, I feel like it just takes my energy. And so there's probably a button that I don't know. That's in, you know, I need to maybe go back in my childhood and see what button that is, but it's entitlement. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about women's health, what would it be? Yes. Birth control. Get rid of that. Out the trash. Bye. See you. And learn how to connect with your body. There's so many ways you can naturally do it. I mean, women, we're doing it for thousands of years. So yeah, body temperature, you know, count the days and magic. What has been one teacher or book that has changed your way of thinking? Yes, I love On the Shortness of Life, Seneca. We we talked about that. Um, Helped me realize that to know to be more uh, appreciative of my time and be very picky about who I give my time to because I'm not going to get that time back and it's such a good book to read it was written in 50 AD and it feels like it was written today like the things that people complain about are the same things like we haven't changed we're the same we're just wearing different clothes Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Well, on that note, I'll have to go read that and give you, thank you for your time because this has been really, really incredible. I know this has been a long episode, but uh, this is, this is fantastic. Just getting your thoughts, your wisdom, your journey, and all of the above your time. I'm super energized. Like just talking to you, I could go on for hours and keep talking about nerding out about health. Um, But yeah, thank you. Like we hit a lot of points that I was interested in you know, getting the word out there and interested in, you know, connecting and and heart and and connecting, you know. And so, yeah, thank you so much. Like this has been like one of my favorite interviews. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. We'll have to get you back on to talk more about what's going on and update us all in the the next couple months. Thank you. Ingrid knows more than many of us do about foods and supplements. Like she mentioned in the discussion, she was able to heal her chronic Crohn's and depression with foods and magnesium bicarbonate. If you want to try some of the foods that helped her, check out her smoothies at www.tusol.com. Tusol is a smoothie in a packet, and it's annoyingly delicious and filling for an afternoon snack. I was really hesitant to try it because I thought it would taste like chalk, but they're surprisingly good. Use the code WEALTHCO at checkout and you'll receive a 10% discount on your order. Also, if you learned something during this episode, 
Will you do us a kindness? Will you do us a favor and leave a review or tag us on social media? Let's share the wealth together and get more people learning about amazing things, such as some of the things that you learned today. If you enjoy content like this, then chances are you'll love our global online private community of women's health explorers. You can join us at www.whealth.community. Catch you there. Until our next health exploration, stay well.